Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you if you have previously listened to other episodes as well. We are nearing our 8,000th download in a little under six months and it's all thanks to you, uh, my very loyal listeners or maybe even my brand new listeners who are finding this content really useful. I would love to know what your favourite episode is and I would love for you to share it on socials and tag me in. You can do that on your stories in Instagram by tagging in Dr Marianne Trent. You can do that on LinkedIn as well. I am Dr. Marianne Trent. You can do it on Facebook, tag me in there as Good Thinking Psychological Services or if we're connected on Facebook you can tag me as Marianne Trent as well. Um, Tag me in all those places, that would also be wonderful but tell people why you like the episode and why it resonates with you. Um, Encourage others to listen too um, as it really helps me know that this content is useful and beneficial for you and that you are pleased to be in my world. Um, What am I going to talk to you about today? Well, today I'm going to talk to you about my experiences of working in the National Health Service, both as um, an assistant psychologist, um, as a trainee psychologist, and then as a qualified psychologist too. There is no real plan (laughs) to this episode. It is going to be a case of, you know, winding her up and watching her go, see where I go. Um, But I hope you'll find it useful um, because I know for many people who are striving to progress their career in psychology, it feels like, um, you know, working for the NHS, certainly if you want to get onto clinical training um, and be funded by the NHS to train, it feels like um, a Acquiring some NHS experience prior to commencing your training is going to be beneficial for you. With that, I would say it's not always necessary. So you know that I, um, if you've been in my world a while, you'll know anyway that I previously worked at St Andrews Healthcare. And actually there are people um, I worked with there who got on to professional um, doctorate courses having only ever worked um, in, um, in St Andrews, but usually under the supervision of a qualified psychologist. So for me, I think it is more 
about the quality of your supervision and the type of work that you're being asked to do that is psychologically informed and, um, you know, just absolutely on model for what you'd be doing really in your realm of um, professional psychology. So, yeah, I don't think it's so much the organisation, although, of course, the ability to work with MDTs and large teams and, um, you know, to hold caseloads and work with a variety of clients and professionals, too, is advantageous. And that is something that the NHS does afford you. Um, So I did work for local government um, before I started working for St Andrews. Um, And, you know, I think working for any large organisation that's well established um, and has lots of policies and procedures and, you know, where things don't happen overnight can be really good experience um, for boosting your your own CV and your skills and your talents, but also for knowing how large organisations work. So um, similarly, St Andrews was um, a large hospital and it's since expanded to have other locations as well. Um, And so, you know, that is, um, yeah, it is a large organisation and they do work differently than smaller ones. So um, my own organisation, Good Thinking Psychological Services, is very small comparatively. And so I can do things in a really adaptive um, and if needs to be reactive way um, in the way that I found to be quite frustrating that you couldn't do in the NHS towards the end of my time there. Um, You know, I can come up with different um, techniques and approaches and roll with them the same day if I want to and you you just can't do that in the NHS and that is frustrating to someone who wants to innovate and can see ways for changing and you know for clients to have better experiences but this is this is a whole separate debate so my first experience of working for the NHS was when I was an assistant psychologist Um, and the way that the funding pots work um, means that it was a slightly different um, employing um, sort of base than where I was actually working because it's kind of divvied up so I was working for um, what was Milton Keynes Hospital um, but I actually wasn't working on the Milton Keynes Hospital site I was working nearby um, at a youth prison so um, at that point um, it was quite novel for um, the healthcare systems to be operated um, by the NHS, but certainly that one was. And so it was a really nice opportunity to get an NHS-funded assistant post. But I was working under the qualified um, direction of an of uh, I was working under the qualified direction of. Um, a qualified forensic psychologist, but I was very clear that my job title was um, assistant clinical psychologist, so I was doing clinical work uh, and not stuff necessarily indicated with the young person's index offence, more about their well-being and their, um, you know, I guess their relationship to trauma as well, um, which of course is is indicated often with the index offence. But um, similarly to um, a previous episode where I've mentioned um, the wonderful um, 
QC Chris Dawes um, book Justice on Trial. Um, you know, there's a lot of trauma within justice systems, both adult and young people. Um, so um, I actually only worked for the NHS for six months. So I started in um, in February uh, and I left in August to go off travelling because I'd got um, a place on the doctorate scheme and I just, you know, got all footloose and fancy free and went off um, and had a really lovely time with another friend who was actually going to be starting her own um, clinical um, doctorate course as well. So yeah, if you are listening to this because you are going to shortly be starting um, as um, a trainee psychologist, then is there any possibility that you could have a bit of time off between these important chapters of your life where you don't necessarily need to be thinking about what this gap looks like on your CV uh, and what you might be missing out on. It's more of a chance of how can you replenish yourself, how can you reward yourself for this time that you've really spent um, focusing on a really you know, really important destination. So yeah, again, it's a bit of another aside, isn't it? You never know where I might end up. But, um, you know, if you are going to be applying for clinical training next year or any type of professional psychology training, if you do learn in spring or summer um, that you have been successful, then how could you free yourself up to imagine that you might spend some of that time, um, you know, you could dream big, you know, you could dream a little round the world trip. Obviously, this is finances um, depending, but also dependence depending as well. So if you are a parent um, or you've got people that you care for, that might be, that might feel slightly more aspirational. But, you know, are the things that you would like to do to help you celebrate that phase in your life? Could you, I don't know book yourself a few um, spa treatments or beauty treatments or go and stay with friends in a different part of the country or go and you know have a couple of days in an Airbnb um, somewhere nice and by the sea to really just recharge yourself um, and to celebrate you and your well-doneness. But I feel like this is a whole separate episode um, that probably needs to be recorded, doesn't it? So NHS. Um, so I worked there for six months and then I went off travelling. Yeah, that's why I got distracted because that sounded more exciting than working for the NHS. <laughs> and it was. Um, but yeah, I did take a lot of value from uh, my fellow nursing colleagues and my forensic psychology um, supervisor. Um, it was quite a small organisation um, to work for, quite a small base, I should say, that I was working for. And that was very different um, than having worked for a large hospital with many different um, divisions. So, you know, just having to get used to... Um, a little bit more of, uh, yeah, just a smaller way of, um, yeah, just thinking and operating. You might just have heard that little ping from my emails that meant that I forgot to, uh, 
I forgot to <laughs> shut my emails down before I filmed, so, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I will try and edit it out if I can, but it might well just stick around. So um, training um, for me, because I was a trainee clinical psychologist, was three years of being employed by the NHS at Band 6. Um, and for me, going from Band 4 to Band 6, that was quite a nice um, pay rise at the time. Um, so working for the NHS meant that you obviously have to um, be um, an employee for them and adhere to their trust values and, you know, their their principles and their protocols and their procedures um, and you need to be you know a good employee you need to be thinking about um, you know where possible trying to keep your sick leave absence as little as possible because they're going to be looking at your attendance and you know the same is true even with when you are a trainee psychologist if you are being employed that they have to make sure that you are well enough to be in your role and that you are um, you know creating good value for the NHS because there's work that you um, need to be doing, you know, the core work. So they want you to be seeing clients on placement and ideally helping those clients to move towards their goals, but also um, helping the service move towards its goals as well. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of a lot of balls to juggle when you are um, a trainee psychologist. Um, you know, you've got to juggle the responsibilities for your own line management. So when I was training, my line manager was based in a different hospital and we never really crossed paths other than um, him signing off on my um, expenses every month um, for driving about um, here, there and everywhere and parking costs and things. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever had to see him for anything else at all during my three years. And I think even during those three years, um, I think the original chap retired and then someone else came along. And I don't think I met him um, in a managerial capacity as well. But during training, you will um, usually have placements. Uh, certainly if you're doing clinical psychology, you will have placements. But those placements might not all be NHS. Um, you might have a specialist placement, for example, that is outside of an NHS service. Um, and so you'll have a supervisor who is not an NHS member of staff in that in that set of circumstances. Um, in the most part, so certainly all six of my supervisors were NHS supervisors. But of course, my course team were not NHS um, staff. Um, they were academic staff at the university. And so you're juggling a lot of different, um, you know, requests and responsibilities and professional procedures, really. Um, and that that could just take a little bit of kind of figuring out. And that can just take a little bit of figuring out, really, as you um, adjust to that. Um, so this feels like it's an episode on gearing you up for, you know, professional qualification as well. Um, you know, it is many things to many people. At this point, we're just going to take a short break and I'll be back very soon. 
The Clinical Psychologist Collective is a fantastic read for aspiring clinical psychologists. This book provides insights from real trainees and qualified psychologists. They offer their advice, hope and encouragement to aspiring clinical psychologists. This book helps to put in perspective the variety of journeys people take to become qualified. I would recommend this book to anyone interested in the D-ClinSci. So one of the things I liked about working for the NHS was that it was such a big organisation and you could usually find someone who knew the answer to your question or who had already tried to do the thing that you were doing so you could kind of network and liaise with them. Sometimes that could be a little bit of a sticking point because... You know, people want to follow, um, you know, what's gone before it. But if there's been a million unnecessary steps that go before it, that can feel a little bit frustrating. Um, But, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for um, carrying out research within the NHS as well, because it's probably highly likely that your trust has um, a research department or research lead. And so with your line management or supervisory approval, you can um, often make contact with them to see if there's any research that you might be able to um, to help support with. And of course, because it would be a trust um, initiative, you might well be able to um, get that sorted out within your work time. So you'd be getting paid to do research or thinking about whether you could bring bring whether you could bring research to your service and be paid for it. Um, so what is not to like there? Um, one of the other things that I think uh, makes it um, really nice about working for the NHS is that, you know, in my experience, certainly people were largely working, um, you know, nine to five, which meant that there would usually be some sort of opportunity for sitting down with your colleagues and having lunch. Now, I was a big believer and still am a big believer in having lunch. Um, I put it in my diary every day and always have done because certainly in the NHS, you don't get paid for 
for that time, um, but you do have to take it. And so I took it because um, because it was good for me and because I need to eat. You know, I'm not the sort of person can, that can, you know, work on past a hungry, grumbling stomach. I productivity plummets quite rapidly if I'm hungry <laughs> and my patience certainly dissipates too if I'm a bit hungry. So um, I always made time for lunch, but I had a very good impact on my colleagues as well because they would often try and come and join me for lunch. Um, and when I was in, uh, you know, when I was in a, a local service with some local shops, we'd instigate, um, you know, chippy lunch every now and then as well. And that was very popular. Um, but yeah, trying not to eat at your desk is key. Try and make sure that you do have a break because this is difficult work that you are doing um, as an aspiring psychologist. And so having some time to be mindful about something that is non-work focused, non-work related, um, will really help you to decompress and to come through these difficult times, um, you know, with, uh, you know, more, with better well-being, I hope. And, you know, within the NHS, um, I had a lovely time connecting with, you know, nursing colleagues. And one of my absolute favourite things about working for the NHS is the people you meet along the way. And I was talking to uh, one of my friend's mums just yesterday. Um, Hi, Angela. Um, Name check her there. Um, And talking about um, the wonderful people that you do meet in um, in uh, mental health, but also physical health, because you're meeting people who are fellow nurturers, and they really can help shape you and look after you and look out for you. And I know that my um, my friend and ex colleague now Jane wouldn't mind me name checking her, but I was really pleased to have met her along my journey um, into. Uh, well, I was that was when I was a qualified member of staff, but you can never meet enough good people who warm your soul and who get you and you know that's one of my favorite things about working in this industry of ours is the people that you meet along the way and those that you choose to keep along the way as well you know you can snap snap them off from whatever job that you're working in and you know mentally take them with you sometimes even physically take them with you but you can still keep them in your world um, either by getting together in person or connecting you know virtually via email or socials as well and yeah I've just had some wonderfully nurturing supervisors along the way as well and I most definitely kept most of those in my life too so um, those are my top tips for surviving the NHS which sounds a bit bleak um, I know but you know make sure you're taking time for yourself and you know really seek to make connections with the people around you especially those that make you feel good Um, I always when joining a team would shadow other members of the team Um, and when people joined the team I would have them shadow me even if they weren't working in psychology Um, and I know that even recently um, an occupational therapist I'd previously worked with had said that she still found that session that she did with me incredibly fascinating and that she thought about it really often so you never know where the 
impact um, what you might have um, from the people that you work with. Um, so I did work in the NHS once I qualified. I worked in um, a children and adolescent mental health service for almost four years. Um, and I had a baby during that time as well. I got married during that time. Um, and then I continued to work for the NHS um, and I had another baby um, in my uh, second qualified role in adult mental health. Um, so, yeah, I I did make the decision to leave the NHS, um, but that was only after I'd tried to negotiate dropping down um, to less days so that I could focus more on private work. But we couldn't make that work. It wasn't agreed. And over time, I just thought, you know what, I think... I might want to leave, which felt really challenging. It felt, um, yeah, really scary, but also felt really exciting. Um, and I'd already been working in a private capacity for a little while. Um, by the time I went private, by the time I went fully fledged private, um, so I think it was probably getting on for about eighteen months by the time I left. And so I knew I could potentially make it work and I haven't looked back but that said I do miss working with my team and I miss probably the more informal chances that you have to get together with people you know the, I don't I don't miss meetings but I probably miss the beginning and the ends of meetings where things became you know they were just you know warming up and checking in with each other and you know, just making sure that everyone's okay and, you know, a little bit of, you know, water cooler chat and humour and, you know, all of that. You know, what did you watch on, you know, TV last night or did you see Britain's Got Talent? Yes, I did. Um, you know, that's all part of being a team as well. And I know that when my children were homeschooled during um, the pandemic, I was, you know, quite surprised how little work they were doing um you know I'd imagined perhaps naively that when my children were at school that they were doing you know six hours of education um apart from their lunch break and their play breaks but it really wasn't it was very much more low-key than that you know there's probably only about two solid hours of work um maybe even if that the rest is I don't know I guess consolidation and um you know discussion um but actual focused work was very different than my own experiences of being at school. Um, and, you know, I think when we look at the way that people are working, not to quote Boris and the cheese, um, but the actual hard work that we're doing on any given day, when we look at that in hours is, you know, it's a little bit different with us because if we're doing um, client sessions, then, of course, you've got those client hours, but you've also got the admin that goes with that. Um, but if you're in an admin um, role, you know, it might be that, um, the you know, you're not working solidly seven and a half hours because there's kind of time built in your day for flex um, to be able to, you know, spend time with colleagues and you know to be able to make cups of tea and things and I'm not disparaging in any way the way that you're working but you know it's I couldn't say hand on hand that I um, 
you know, I work around the clock, you know, and I've created my um, job to work, my business to work in the way that I want it to, so that I have now got time to be able to, to go and do my personal training sessions in my work time, um, because I recognise that it's so much more likely to happen if I do that, um, whereas if I leave it to the evenings or the weekends, it just ain't going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I think within um, large organisations like the NHS, um, they've obviously got standards to meet, they've got targets to meet, and you will be probably, as an aspiring psychologist, find yourself having to be accountable to those standards and those targets. Um, but there's not um, usually an expectation that you'll be working with your nose to the grindstone, um, you know, for seven and a half hours a day. But that said, I know that many people who are certainly aspiring clinical psychologists are finding that the expectations of them for their face to face work um, are great. And that does lead to burnout, you know, Um Maybe there needs to be a bit more, uh, you know, flex for human time and human connection time. So I would love to know what you think to anything that I've spoken about today. Um, I would love to know what your favourite episode of this Aspiring Psychologist podcast is. Um, we have got the um, next batch of applicants um, in the Aspiring Psychologist membership coming up. Um, opening on the 1st of July. So if you'd like to be on the waiting list, ready for when that opens, ready for us to guide you through this next application season, um, then do check out the details in the show notes. Come on over and like and subscribe to um, the Good Thinking Psychological Services YouTube channel, won't you? Um, because, you know, good stuff happens on there and you can also listen to the podcast episodes there too. Have I got anything else to tell you? Um, you can, of course, um, still check out information either to buy the Aspiring Psychologist um, Collective book when it comes out, hopefully in October. Um, or if you have got interesting stories to tell, we are still accepting submissions and details of how you can make your submission are included in the show notes. Right, thank you so very much for being part of my world and for listening. And don't forget that if you've got any questions for me for this special Ask Marianne Anything session um, that is coming up on the podcast, then you can record your question. Um, surprise, surprise, by following the details in the show notes. Um, I'm going to finish off with the Ask Marianne Anything jingle um, and then you will be able to listen to the podcast jingle. I will look forward to catching up with you very soon. Take care and stay kind to you. Bye. Questions and answers with Dr. Mary Entrance. Use the details in the show notes to ask If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified.
My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.